so excited to have Mindy Zhang on our podcast today. She has been a product leader leading um, companies from Microsoft, Dropbox to their growth stage, Oscar held to their IPO, and it's just been a journey to see how she transitioned from the leadership role to a new career that gave her more um, fulfillment, more authentic values in coaching. So we'll start from a very exciting project that she's been working on with her partner throughout the pandemic and they're building a house. And we'll start from there and see how her journey unfolds going forward. Okay, so where to begin? You know, I had always seen myself living in a big city. So I was in Seattle right after graduating from college. I then moved to San Francisco and then to New York City. Mm. So I was always envisioning myself living in a big city. And when when you went from Seattle to SF to NYC, were they all based on your job? Oh, that's a good question. Um, SF, so Seattle and San Francisco were based on my job. Mm -hmm. Moving to New York City, the motivation there was to be closer to my mom geographically. I I felt this desire to connect with her more deeply. So Mm -hmm. mom, if you're listening to this, yes, that's right. (laughs) Did you know that before? Yeah, you know, I think she did. I I wanted to get closer to my mom and be on the same coast as her. Mm. And I think our relationship has really deepened and improved, both as I've matured as a person over the past few years and because I was closer. That does make a huge difference. What changed the most this time around? Uh, what changed uh, when I decided to build the house or when I moved oh, to Oh, when you decided to move back to NYC to be closer with your mom? Because assuming you grew up together, you did, like separated for, for work, right? And then came back. What, what changed this time around? Yeah, growing up, I had, I was really close to my mom when I was younger. Then around my teenage years, we we drifted apart in a really big way. She was diagnosed with stage four cancer when I was 11. And the confusion and chaos of that experience from my childhood, I think that caused me to put up a lot of barriers between the two of us, Mm. you know? Yeah. Um, My mom also went through just a lot in her journey. Mm -hmm. And I felt this large emotional gulf because as a kid, right, it was hard for me to make sense of her illness. What, you know, I didn't even let my mind go to what could happen because it was so scary. And that's what caused me to put up the, the barriers between us. And there was this growing emotional gulf between us that extended through high school, through college. And even as I was an adult, we were still pretty emotionally distant. Mm -hmm. But you still talk and talk about life, but not in an emotional way. We stayed in touch, but we didn't talk very frequently. It was very transactional. And maybe a lot of... um, Asian Americans listening to this podcast can relate. Of course, she cares. She cares a lot about me and I care a lot about her. 
but a lot of our conversations back then just became very transactional, you know? Yeah. And what made you decide to move to New York? You know, um, my parents had separated in 2014. And um, back then I was working at Dropbox. Dropbox had a take your parents to work weekend. <laughs> Did you bring your mom? I brought my mom. Um, so I asked her to fly out, which she did. And we bonded during that weekend. She also shared that weekend that she and my dad were going through the process of separating. And, you know, that kind of made me realize, wow, I, I want to make sure my mom has a support system. And so there was a moment in 2015 when I actually just woke up in the middle of the night and, and said, I need to fly to mm. the East Coast and be closer to my mom. Um, you leave the and, next day or like it was like you kind of it took a few, few days to, to unravel? It took a couple months. I think I moved two months later and Dropbox was kind enough to give me a role in New York City. At the time, I was saying my mom needs support. This is why I'm moving is to provide my mom with the support system. The truth is my mom already had a great support system with her friends um, in Virginia where she lives. I think I wanted that level of closeness and to reconnect with my mom so it was more for me than anything else in my head though I was saying I'm doing this for mom right you rationalize it so that it's a better story right but but deep down you knew it's different yeah yeah and it took me a few years to realize that too Hmm. did that move meet your expectation Oh, that's a really good question. I felt really lonely in New York the first couple of years. I didn't have a strong community in New York City. Um, One of my close friends was living in New York, but then um, left in order to travel. And I didn't have close ties in New York like I did in the Bay Area. I had really grown up at Dropbox. And so my primary community was actually at Dropbox. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. I spent my early 20s there. So I felt really disconnected in New York City. Plus, I was visiting my mom once a month and then also visiting the Dropbox headquarters in San Francisco once a month. Mm-hmm. So I was physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted. I'm not sure if it's what I expected, but it certainly was a tough couple of years adjusting to the city. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for anyone who's moving across the country, who's moving to a new location, right? There's that initial surge of energy and possibility. Like what could this new life be like? And of course, the reality is it takes time and it takes patience to build a new community, to build a new life in a new city. I know a lot of folks are kind of exploring where they could live right now Yeah, and potentially making some moves. 
you, I mean, you also did make a bit of big decision over the pandemic of moving out of the city. And yeah. I know, Charlene, I finally settled into New York. <laughs> I know. And, and then, it, it, so when did you actually feel that New York is home or feel like, feels like home? I felt like New York was home in 2018 mm. because I discovered dance in 2018. <laughs> I started swing dancing and that opened up a new community for me. It opened up a new way to express myself, connect with other people and connect with the city. New York City has amazing jazz and just an amazing energy. So I found myself in 2018 going out to jazz bars, going out to dance multiple times a week. And that just opened up so much life for me in the city in a way that wasn't there before. Yeah. And I saw that you said you dance every night. Do you take swing dancing lessons every night? Yeah, that was um, when I first started dancing. Because I think there's something addictive about A, moving our bodies, and B, expressing ourselves and connecting with other people creatively. I had never felt so in flow during an activity before because I had never danced very much as a kid. And that, that hobby just opened up so many realizations for me. Um, it kind of like cracked open my brain figuratively and enabled me to uncover all these insights. What's the first insight it brought to your life? The first insight was that I am capable of joy beyond what I had ever felt before. It made me realize that I had been putting a ceiling on my own joy and it unlocked for me what life could be like, you know, filled with so much joy and connection. Yeah. How did that silly initially got put up there? So you said that the joy was almost constrained in the past, right? Mm. Was it, how, how did that constraint put in place? Is it more of something you have always had growing up or is something happened in your early 20s? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I think it was growing up as an achiever and as a kid who was always really hard on herself. I'm not sure where that came from. You know, I was reading my mom's early diaries from when I was a baby and then when I was, you know, toddler aged. Wow. Yeah, she kept all these diaries for be- me. I wish my mom did that too. Yeah, my mom's pretty great, right? <laughs> so much data and you can really see what happened from a different point of view. That's amazing. Yeah, and from a very young age, even before I came to the US, I was quite hard on myself. I put a lot of pressure on myself to be a good girl and to be just good. I was a perfectionist from a very young age. My mom is also a perfectionist. So I wonder if I had observed her and um, applied that to myself, even though my mom never, you know, she wasn't hard on me. She Mm -hmm. didn't place 
pressure on me academically or otherwise. Even though she didn't do that directly, I think there's something about watching our parents as a child. We take on some of their behaviors. We mimic them in yeah. some ways. I think what we see is even more powerful than what we heard, because what we see is true, right? And we just mimic that right away. Absolutely, yeah. So I had I had always been an achiever and a perfectionist. Immigrating to the United States too, um, I think really revved up that achiever mindset because I didn't feel like I fit in socially at school. Mm-hmm. You know, being an immigrant, there are a lot of things that felt really foreign to me in school. Yeah. And I always felt like a weird kid, you know? <laughs> when did you come over? I immigrated when I was four. So when oh, I was wow. pretty young. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Young. Yeah. Even so, I always felt like a bit of an oddball, a weird kid um, growing up mm-hmm. because I, when we moved to the U.S., um, we moved to Indiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, Indiana is very different from Beijing, right? Mm-hmm. And being kind of socially awkward and an oddball in the classroom, the place where I really excelled was in my academics. Mm-hmm. I found that I could get teachers to like me. I could also get some admiration from other people because I was smart. As a kid, as a kid, I think we all want to be accepted, right? And, and I think you said being an apple, right? Academic almost compensated or more than compensated what you couldn't get from the pure peer connections, right? Yeah, absolutely. As a kid, if there's a way to be accepted, even if it's not the preferred way to be socially accepted, uh, we're going to lean into that. So I leaned hard into academic success. And that came from myself, not so much from my parents. Mm -hmm. So you asked about when was this ceiling of joy created? Yeah, I think it was self-imposed. I wanted to be disciplined, work hard and succeed academically so that I could be accepted by my peers. And and how did swing dancing break that ceiling? I have no idea. These things work magic on our brains, and I don't know exactly how it works. I I have encountered other friends and other people who've gone really deep into a hobby. Usually it's a physical hobby, like Mm -hmm. dance or a sport, and they had that open up a lot of realizations in their life. So yeah, I think it's it's an addictive activity. First of all, you have the music. The music is so amazing. You can't listen to swing music without tapping your foot or snapping your fingers or wanting to dance. Second, there's the movement itself. There's something freeing about just moving our bodies in an expressive way. And then lastly, swing is a social dance. Mm -hmm. So you get to create something 
to music with another person, which is so such a lovely experience. I had never felt something like that before. It's a very powerful human expression, right? Dance, music. And I think part of what you said is that there's this visceral connection that awakens some senses they probably haven't felt before, even though it may not be another sense, but it's just like you are able to see and feel things more fully because you're really engaging your body, that activity and the community that came with that. Absolutely. We live lives in our heads so often, you know, especially those of us who have gone to great schools um, and have focused on academics and career success. We live in our heads and you're totally right, Charlene, getting into my body opened up access to so many things I had never felt before. Yeah. And it must be hard when COVID hit, right? Because you couldn't, I, I actually weren't familiar with the social like dance protocol over in New York City, but how was that transition? It was really hard because in, in lockdown, no, no one was dancing. Some people were dancing at home. There were online classes, but it's nothing like walking into a social dance with so many people around. Yeah, You see the same people at the dances and the energy of live music too. I realized that jazz is meant to be listened to live. Wow. <laughs> it's just different. It's just different when it's online. So how did you transition? How did I transition? Yeah, you know, I I haven't danced for a while. I haven't gone to a swing social dance in a really long time. Fortunately, my partner, Ben, he dances. Um, He led the Stanford swing dance team. Yeah, swing time. Is that how you met? Oh, so Ben and I met at Dropbox. We were working together at Dropbox. He was an engineering leader and I was a PM. Perfect match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, right? No. We reconnected through dance. So we had lost touch after he left Dropbox. I visited San Francisco on a business trip and went to a social dance in San Francisco we saw each other and we danced and that's how we reconnected. Wow. I love how, how many roles dance play in your life. You know, not only from bringing you to a new city's core, making new friends, but also with your partner. I mean, kindling the relationship with your partner. I know it opened up so much. Everyone should dance is all I have to say. Have you you ever heard of Daybreaker? Yeah. Have you tried it? I did. I had a friend who um, who performed at Daybreaker. So I went once. How was that experience like? I love the energy. It's such a such a beautiful crowd. So much positive energy. I will say, and this might sound controversial, the music is not always my preferred type of music. I'm kind of an old soul, so I really love the 30s, 1930s, 1940s jazz that yeah. swing dance pairs with. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's what I'll say is yeah. my preferred. 
style of music, but I love the experience. That's um, and I'm really inspired by people who design those experiences that connect people in new and special ways that really buck the trend mm-hmm. and say, you know what, we're going to do something that no one has ever done before. And it's going to be an awesome experience that we designed from first principles. Yeah. And, and I think the reason I asked is that I, I used to dance, but not very often. A lot of my friends who never danced before started with Daybreaker and they actually learned dance in a different way. You know, like in a way that everyone is empowered, everyone can move, right? And I think that to me was, wow, that, that's powerful. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that ethos. Uh, humans were born to move and to move together to music. Yeah. Wow. It's just the way we are. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that art, 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 art uh, component. And, but bring us back. So uh, pandemic hit, you left New York you begin to travel or I guess search for your, for your favorite house, dream house. Tell us about that. Yep. Yep. The pandemic hit and my partner and I, we first moved briefly to Atlanta, Georgia. New York City was not doing well in terms of COVID. We got pretty anxious and fearful. So we moved to Atlanta. Atlanta is a is a city, but there are parts of the city that feel more suburban. Mm. And we lived in an Airbnb that was uh, really beautiful, a lot of trees in the backyard, never left the house, but we felt so much calmer and happier there than we ever did in New York City. Like a lot of couples, we started browsing Zillow for fun. Yeah, I I still check that once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're in lockdown, you need a, a thrill. And so we started browsing Zillow. Um, I don't know if you've seen the SNL skit about Zillow. Well, what is that about? So everyone should, I don't want to spoil it for you. So everyone should watch the Saturday Night Live clip about Zillow. Zillow. Okay, I'll put a link as well. That's that's awesome. (laughs) We started browsing Zillow. First, we were looking at different houses about an hour or two outside of New York City. My partner and I, we both love design and we're pretty particular about the aesthetic we like. Mm -hmm. So we only found a handful of homes we we wanted to live in. And then when we went back to New York City, we started looking at those houses. There was one house in particular we really loved. We put an offer down on it and it fell through. I was super disappointed. Um, I write about this. Right. Is actually the other one. Oh, the other one. Okay. Yeah, that was a bummer. (laughs) I agree. Yeah, the Johansson house. Um, I write about it in my newsletter. um, And that was not my finest moment, Charlene. I think that losing that house was such a big disappointment because there were very few things to look forward to in lockdown amidst the pandemic. I had put a lot of hope into that one thing Mm. and having it fall through was 
pretty devastating. All in all, I was in a really privileged position, right, to be able to say that. I think Ben wrote that it's almost like you broke up with someone when you lost the house. It felt like a breakup. Yeah, I was I was reflecting with my friends on why it felt like such a huge loss, even though it's just a house, right? It's just a physical thing. And I think it was because we weren't sure at the time when the pandemic would end, if it would ever end. Mm-hmm. And we were missing a sense of hopefulness and adventure. So I had kind of packed hope, adventure, joy, happiness, everything yeah. on this one house. That's, that's why it felt like such a letdown. Mm. At that moment, my partner and I started talking about how there were very few homes that matched what the design aesthetic we wanted. So we started thinking about building our own house. We visited a lot of land plots. That was very therapeutic, actually. During the pandemic, going for a drive into the woods and just spending some time with a plot of land, understanding whether it's something we wanted to buy. And we found a plot of land we really loved in Northwest Connecticut. We How also long does found- it take you to find that land? It took us, I want to say a couple of months. I might be remembering that incorrectly. We were looking at a lot of different plots each weekend. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of, it was a huge time investment. Yeah. And how did that land, like check your uh, buckets? It felt, it just felt right. It was actually one of the first land plots we saw. So we... I think it was maybe the second land plot we saw. Hmm. We went there. There was a moment when he, um, we were looking at the view and he turned around and grabbed my hand and kissed me because he really felt connected to that property. Hmm. But of course we wanted to know our full set of options, right? So we kept looking. We kept looking at, I don't know, a dozen more properties we then went back to that one and said, this one is, is the right one for us. Wow. But, okay, so now that you have the land, how do you build it? Yeah, how do we build it? Well, you know, you can, you can read the newsletter for this because my partner, Ben, goes into a lot of detail yeah. about all the nitty gritty of building a house. We have an amazing architect and a general contractor. They do a lot of the work. Overall, building a house is a a lot of effort, even if you have an architect and a general contractor doing it on your behalf. It's a lot of research. It's a lot of work and decisions. So I only recommend it for people who would enjoy the process. Yeah, I I spent, I would say almost a year just researching to buy a house, not even to build a house. So, and, and I, and I, the newsletter is really good, by the way. I think you include so many details, like as, in, as like the email screenshots, right? Like how the lens looks like the picture. It's, it's very helpful for anyone who wants to venture this route. Oh, thanks, Charlene. That credit all goes to Ben. 
my partner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did write an email, so I would say half and half, or somewhat shared. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it's amazing. And so, so apparently, house took up a big time. But how do you spend the other time out of your life now? I transitioned earlier this year from a product leadership role at Oscar Health to coaching pretty much full time. That was a huge transition that I went through in April of this year. I started in um, October 2020, uh-huh. but I left my corporate job this year in Got April. It. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How does the transition feel like? And it must be there must be a lot going on. But like, yeah, tell us more about that. How the how 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 was that? Oh yeah, it um, it's been a journey. It's been a long journey. It started with me feeling quite disconnected with my corporate job. Over time, I realized that I actually don't like being a leader at a traditional growth stage company. That was really hard for me to admit because I had built my whole career around getting to the C-suite at a growth stage tech company. Whenever people asked me, where do you see yourself in five years? I always said the C-suite, whether it's chief product officer or chief operating officer, there was no question about it. Yeah, and you were on a rocket ship. You you were on multiple rocket ships. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It feels really good to be a part of something that everyone, whether it's the tech media or your friends or random acquaintances at networking events, everyone says, oh yeah, I've heard of that. And that's a great company. It feels really good to be a part of that and to be a leader at one of those companies. But I didn't, it didn't feel right for me. It didn't feel like it matched who I was and the kind of life I wanted to live. Mm. So step one was coming to that realization and saying it out loud. I, I assume there are many factors that made you realize that, but what are one or two of those powerful moments that made you like take a step back and revisit which track you're on? Mm. You know, Charlene, I don't know if there were these big moments. That said, I do journal. So I journal at least once a week. Journaling is so helpful because sometimes when we're living the individual data points, we're not able to step back and connect the dots. But since I had journaled, I could take a step back and read my past journal entries connect the dots for myself and say, wait a second, I do not sound happy week Mm. after week after week. (laughs) Wow. Something is going on here. So that's the honesty, integrity, many, I mean, and takes a lot of courage to admit that. Thanks, Charlene. I felt really courageous admitting it because um, it was a scary thing to say out loud that I don't like this. So much of my professional network has been built around me being a product leader, that identity was very important to me. And so to admit that this is a part of my identity I want to shed, oh, that was scary. It was really scary. 
Wow. And I was just going to notice that like your mom, the journal has been very helpful for this discovering or reinforcing the insights of your life. Oh, I know, right? I, I realized that as I grow up, I'm becoming more and more like my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you found that, Charlene? I, I think, so it's, so I think one thing that I've been very conscious of was like, I can dial down or up the traits she has, but I can never live without them, right? Mm-hmm. And just come to accept that. So I would say some of my traits are the entire opposite, very extreme of hers. Some of them are exactly the same, right? It's very mm-hmm. on the two polar ends. But yeah, mm, I see. Super insightful. Yeah. So yeah, I decided to to shift into coaching. I found that to be a really incredible shift for myself. I realized there were things about me that were not well suited to being a leader at a fast-paced growth company but make me really great at coaching. What are some of them? Yeah, so one of them is um, I care a lot about going deep on something. I wrote my five core values recently. I saw that Notion doc. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, it's on their website. Oh yeah, I, I literally <laughs> just added it before this call. Charlie. Yeah, I mean, I was reading it at 8.30 a.m. So just about it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first, the first value is live and work elegantly and elegance defined as something that's pleasingly ingenious and simple, something that's done well with craft, devotion and care. Ever since I was a kid, I I loved going deep on something. You know, when I was learning to play the piano, I wanted to compose my own music. Mm. And when I was reading poetry, I wanted to write my own and spent hours and hours doing that. Yeah, that's the creator spirit deep down, right? Yeah, absolutely. I care about making something meaningful and deep spending a lot of time on craft and you'll see that in my values document I also write what I'm trading off in order to prioritize that value I do believe that every good value statement has a Mm trade-off and so the trade-off here is volume and speed um, which was always needed in tech. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the other one, which I mean, now that you said that's the trade-off that's always needed, it makes more sense because, like, when I there was a trade-off of ambition as well, mm. right? Yeah, and I think absolutely. when you said you were achiever growing up, that's something that, that at first sight it looks like a contrast. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I've realized about myself is. Um, I love finding what's beautiful, whether it's something that's aesthetically beautiful or very poignant and emotional. And I love to sink into those moments. So discovering a house that's really beautiful or spending hours on a conversation with a friend and finding just those beautiful moments I love sinking into that 
And the fast paced nature of most tech companies, there are some tech companies who are taking a different approach, but most tech companies, it didn't allow me to bring out that essence. Yeah. Um, I always felt like I was um, making a thousand little compromises every day on who I was. There's a low grade kind of chronic anxiety that comes from compromising ourselves in a thousand little ways each day. I think I felt that working in tech, um, at least as a, as a product leader, I felt that. Yeah. You're a product leader yourself, so you know that there are so many different things on your mind each day. Every meeting is a new set of context and information. I think it's great for people who love breath mm-hmm. and a diversity of different inputs every day. I don't think my brain works like that. I'm a, I like sinking into a craft, a yeah. moment. I That's why as, coaching really resonates for me. Right. Because I think as product managers, product leaders, you are forced to context switch meeting from meetings, right? And you are forced to provide the most value with different set of people every time. And usually the people you work with, like if not the, the thousands, but like hundreds. So that's a lot of context switches. And if you, even if you want to go very deep on one thing, that it's, it's not the best use of the company's time for you to do so. Because like, that's not what they're almost hiring you for. But on the other hand, tell us more about how coaching satisfied that part for you. Oh my gosh. It's been such a delight to, to do, to be a coach. Um, I, I work with people for at least six months. I made that decision because I like building a long-term relationship with someone and just getting to know all those little, beautiful, poignant, unique things about someone, help them craft their vision and hold their highest vision, and then help them close the gap between where they want to be and where they are now. It just speaks to me, Charlene. Yeah, I mean, I know that. So I just wanted to make sure I'm not putting my story onto yours. So I just wanted to hear you say that yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it speaks to me. And I'm sure you can relate. Um, Being a coach is also a great way to keep myself accountable for being my true self. Yeah. Because... As you know, to be a successful coach, you can't be anything but yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially when you say going deep, right? I, I, that just reminded me of like how those thousand little choices compromise your authenticity. But yet authenticity is the most, on the other hand, in coaching is the most important asset you have because otherwise there are so many coaches out there. Why you? Right. And I think that's almost a, if not the only, but the most powerful differentiator I found for my career at least absolutely absolutely um and so I've I've really enjoyed the transition you know when I first became a coach I could feel the inner achiever coming up yeah honestly my inner achiever is is still going to be there right I've grown up with that part of me for so long so I felt my inner achiever coming up and comparing myself to other coaches, looking around and saying, I have to hit 
these milestones as a coach. But coaching doesn't really work that way. And so there's something so liberating about becoming a coach and having that profession say back to me, um, actually, that's not, you know, that's not the way it's meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a question for you. This is something I'm currently trying to balance out. It sounds like you love to create, right? You love to dance. You love to do mm. big art, music. And creator almost takes the front row seat of the performing stage. On the other hand, coaching, you, you're not the one at the front. Your, your client is, right? The person who you're coaching is. How do you balance that? Mm. Oh, it's a good question. You know, I, I actually don't see myself. It's like I, I both love and I hate this stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny because my dad is someone who loves being the center of attention and who loves the stage presence. Mm-hmm. He's a singer. He loves being the life of the party. My mom hates being the center of attention. Same. Her friends threw her a birthday party recently and she was so sheepish about it. It was very cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly the same. So I think I, I got a bit of, of both parents' tendencies. Mm. I love being on stage in more of a dance context because there's something about expressing myself and then having other people see that and appreciate it. At the same time, it is so liberating to be a coach and not have to perform. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 100% holding space for another person and being their advocate and ally. I don't have to perform at all. And as someone who's been a high achiever in the past, that is so liberating. It is so rare the moments in my life where I didn't have to do a single ounce of performance. Exactly. And I love it. Yeah. And I think a lot of that could be seasonality, right? Where coaching is almost like, it's not hibernating, but like you're not at the front stage. You're basically uh, recharging uh, and putting the best, the spotlight onto others. And maybe once in a while, there's a season where your art can have, can, can see the light as well but it, it's like it depends on the timing and all that yeah absolutely I love that duality but yeah this is literally my top of mind question because I recently I realized how much I miss performing <laughs> and uh, I was like wait 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 like how how can I balance this new norm yeah yeah absolutely um well maybe you could try dance Charlene I will I will <laughs> I very very hard uh, very challenging but yeah, like you, know, I, I do one thing every day, which is swimming, but like a different exercise and ha- that has opened up so much, so many doors, senses, um, maybe dancing is the next one. Music is never my strength, but I will, I will take that as a girl's mindset challenge. <laughs> Amazing, beautiful. Yeah. And, and I would love to just uh, like let the audience learn more about if they want to learn more about your work, um, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, learning about my work. So you can check out my coaching website, 
which is throughline.xyz. We'll put it in the note as well. Thanks, Charlene. And my personal newsletter, I write about how to design a meaningful life as a high achiever, basically writing about my story and sharing exercises and reflections for other high achievers. That newsletter is mindy.substack.com. Nice. And then lastly, about my the new house that we're building, you can follow our journey at newhouse.substack.com. I love you got those really good domain name like Mindy uh <laughs> new house how do you even get new house that's all stuck.com I love it yeah you gotta snag those it's <laughs> funny because my partner's last name is new house wow <laughs> wow isn't that funny so that's why our substack has that dual meaning oh my gosh that that's why he often sometimes he will take the leading seat to write that piece maybe that's why <laughs> that and he's definitely the hero of this project yeah well I that that's awesome and I mean I've been it's been a joy following you on all fronts and seeing that you love what you're doing and also the values it's, it's such a good value document like all of the values I've seen in the past are more like just a list of nouns but yours is actually like it's only five values and they go really in depth to explain why it matters to you and what's the trade-off you're willing to make so it's so refreshing to see it. It's also on your website where people can see it now, right? Yeah, I li- I linked it literally this morning. <laughs> and I just saw it, so perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. It's a work in progress, you know? But I thought I would share it because a lot of folks right now are rethinking the values they want to live by. And I wanted to just share that as, as one way of defining your own values. Wow, that's so good. And I will definitely take a step and update my value sheet uh, inspired by yours. So thank you so much for putting that out in the world. And it's such a pleasure to have you, Mindy. Likewise, thanks so much for, um, for reaching out, Charlene. I've also followed your journey and it's been such an inspiration to see you create with so much compassion and joy it's been such a delight following your journey Charlene I mean thank you for that but you have to know it's like it's two-way street so so yeah thank you and so honored to have you Uh